Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. And now, Financial Renaissance with the M's. Welcome to this episode of Emma Knows Money. I am your host, certified financial planner, Emma Folks, and I am so glad to have here today Jeff Patterson with the United States Small Business Administration. Welcome, Jeff. Well, thanks for having me, Emma. Sure. Thank you for being here. I can imagine you are pretty busy right now, aren't you? We, um, it's been a challenging couple of weeks because of all the systems problems and such as that. But yeah, so it's, it's been kind of busy. Yep. And you're part of the um, the Georgia district of, are you part of like the senior management or what's your role within the, within the SBA? Yeah. So, so the Georgia district office, we, we take care of the entire state and uh, state of Georgia. And then uh, we kind of divide the house into two parts. One part helps our small businesses gain contracts and uh, do business with the federal government, state government, state agencies, those kind of folks. And then the other half of the house takes care of lending and and educating borrowers and lenders on lending products and then on economic development stuff. That's a technical term in it. But yes. that's that's my my world. So I handled the lending and the economic development side of the house. I had no idea that the SBA lent money directly. I thought that it always had to go through a bank. So I was kind of shocked to hear that the SBA would be uh, you know, sending out money um to businesses. You're exactly right. And the only time we do that is if there's a natural disaster. And because most of those happen during a certain season or time, or maybe we don't have the the wildfires they do in California here in Georgia, you don't really hear a lot about that. But we do have a whole separate arm of the Small Business Administration that handles just direct lending in in the case there is a a disaster, of, of course, a pandemic meets that criteria. And um, Georgia was one of the first maybe five or six states based on uh, the proactive nature of uh, stance of the governor to sign up for that. So, so two things. There's two parts of the equation. Basically, there has to be a national disaster. And President Trump basically said the entire nation was in that state. And then the governor has to do in broad terms some paperwork to, to qualify the state for that or the counties in, that are impacted. Basically, the governor said every every county in our state uh, qualified for that. So that's how we got in the game. There is It's the only time it is uh, the direct lending and it is done that way to get people in need the, the fastest help and uh, but that's handled by a whole different organization inside SBA that I don't really have access to or can't see their systems so that's been a little bit of a challenge on our side but uh, they they do make direct loans that's a long-winded answer yes yes and I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on the word fast <laughs> because oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to challenge sure. you on the word fast because I'm here on Main Street and I've been talking to CPAs for the last three weeks and their clients are calling them freaked out. Yeah, that probably should uh, delete that uh, that verbiage from the from this 
podcast or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> so it, it is, there, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of. Uh, so first of all, you know the systems were taxed, the people were taxed. There's just a lot of. Uh, nobody even anticipated the volume that was going to happen. So the the systems were down for a period of time on the uh, disaster side. They they got those back up and running. I think um, just based on the sheer volume, it was overwhelming uh, to process all the applications because what what I've been told is there's not an algorithm out there just you know making the decision on these. It's an actual human being that's looking at the application, the information the borrower put in to the system, and you know they're 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 supposed to be laying eye, eyeballs on it. And so that kind of probably slows it down, but yeah, there's been a there's there's been an execution problem, I guess, with with that with with all of this really, because again, the leadership on uh, from DC basically describes it as building the building the plane as we're going down the runway. Yes, I might keep, so so it's it's okay. So you got me on the fast. But, uh, <laughs> the, good, the good news, the good news is. There, there, there's, there are checks being deployed now. I've actually had personal calls where folks are actually getting the, the money that um, had called in before back when this first started. So yeah. the good news is checks are flowing and applications, even though the portal is shut and the, and the money ran out, they're still processing applications. So I know it's frustrating to try to figure out where you are in the system or in the process, but uh, they tell us that they're still processing. Folks are still getting emails, and fo- and checks are still being funded. So uh, that's, yeah, I know people that's, are, that's, are are receiving their checks. They're not always sure which check they're receiving because they're not receiving emails from the Small Business Administration identifying <laughs> what was what. I, um, for I think that may be for the first batch that may have come out. But um, yeah, so so while we're on the subject, basically. And again, I'm on I'm on this side of the house, right? So I have to call the 800 number to find out as well. I don't have I don't have access to their systems, as we said. So again, I have to call the and let me just give you the numbers: 800-659-2955 for the folks that really you know. Obviously you said 800. Can you repeat the number one more time? Sure, 800-659. Two nine five five. That's on the disaster side, and and what we've been told is they've beefed up. You know, they've hired they've hired a call center folks. They've trained people. They've hired people to try to meet the demand and the and the vo- the sheer volume of paperwork and process that I don't think anybody could see coming. So yeah, when I was um, on on the site, I saw that they were hiring remote workers to help deal with it. And I was thinking, great, at least some people get to get a job with the SBA. Um, (laughs) You know, there's going to be a lot of remote, a lot of people are overwhelmed right now. You know, it's not just the SBA. Lots of companies weren't anticipating the influx of business or clients or customers or calls that they would be getting. So a lot of people have to ramp up really fast and some have to unfortunately, possibly slow down, which is, you know, one of my next questions has to do with the EIDL program. I, I've, um, you know, I talk to my clients and a lot of them, there's a lot of misinformation out there. That um, is correct. You have CPAs giving uh, some types of advice. You have bankers giving some types of advice. You have, you know, your financial planners, financial advisors giving advice, and sometimes they don't all add up to the same thing. So I wanted to just clarify for myself, for my viewers and listeners, and for my own clients, if you 
the for the EIDL program, if you are a business owner, if you run a private nonprofit, if you're a homeowner or a renter, should you apply for the EIDL program? So the uh, the short answer is yes, because again, somebody on the other side is supposed to look at this and decide if well maybe you don't really fit here or there. So the the short answer and what we've been telling folks is put it in. I know I think one of your questions came came up about property rentals and things of that nature really don't have an EIN. The answer there is put in your social security. So put in your social security number and put in as much information as you can and apply. That's what, that's what we've been telling folks. All right. Well, here's, here's a, here's my curveball. Okay. So let's say, let's say in like a lot of the clients that I do have, a lot of people that I know, they are small business owners, but they are sole proprietors. Okay. Sometimes they, they, they may not even have an LLC or an EIN number separate for their business, uh, but they also have rental properties. How do they apply for EIDL? Go through the portal, go through when the, when it opens back up, obviously the funding comes through this week. So go, go on there and, and fill out the information the best you can. And again, we're encouraging everybody to do that, regardless of the structure of your company or if you're a sole proprietor. And put in put in the information you have. Again, social security number uh, is a tax ID number is an EI. You know, whatever you have, put it in and apply. You know, there are some screenings on the credit side of the house. If, okay. if, you know, credit score. I'm, I'm getting some calls about credit score and things of that nature. So there is a there is a threshold to to, to meet on on the credit score. But outside of that, so here's the other part because part of this up to ten thousand dollars is is basically a grant so that's why we're telling folks go ahead and apply and see how see what you get because the math is working out to about a thousand dollars per employee and that's going to be forgiven up to ten thousand dollars so you should go through the exercise is the short answer again okay yeah that's i think the part that has a lot of people a little you know, fuzzy because if they're some small business owners hire contractors. And so it's, it's, well, I don't even consider myself an employee, you know, do I qualify? Do I qualify? Does my staff qualify? Is that the same thing as PPP? But before we jump into, before we jump into PPP, I'd like you to, to tell people exactly what EIDL stands for. Yeah. So it's economic injury, disaster loans. And we, we refer to that as idle, but uh, nice. (laughs) So yeah. So basically, um, to qualify, you have to be operating, and you were in, you should have been in business January 31. And the good news is, what we've been told is, if, if at first maybe you don't succeed, you can try try again. So you can you can reapply uh, somewhere down the road. I forget the timetable on that, but um, assuming you you weren't kicked out or denied, program runs out in September, I believe. But okay. the, the the good thing about that is. There's no personal guarantee up to a $200,000 loan. And really, there's no collateral uh, really up to 25000 So there's really nowhere on the applicate, on the website to say, hey, I need two hundred fifty k or I need thirty-five k. It's based on the information you put in there because it is geared for uh, working capital. Mm-hmm. There's, again, no algorithm. So a person is supposed to look at cash flow, believe it or not, SBA is a cash flow lender. So they're going to look at and pre-qualify your client based on the information they put in 
And the good news is up to $10,000 of that is forgiven. Now, what happens? Again, um, on the street, yeah. Now, what happens if? Um, so you said that okay. they should just continue to apply. Like, if they applied for it and didn't get it, they should apply again. How well, do they know? Uh, like, is the SBA sending emails to people letting them know they didn't apply? I mean, they didn't qualify. So I guess I get, maybe I generalized too much there. So if you if you've not gotten any correspondence, and I know there's a lot of people that that have not gotten any correspondence because, again, the systems are overwhelmed. But if you've not heard, it doesn't hurt anything to go back and reapply. Okay. So they're, they're going to – they're supposedly have systems in place to catch that, okay? Here's another – I mean, another tidbit that 50% of all the small businesses in the United States have applied for this. So when you think about that, there's, there's just a, a lot of people that – that can fall into this category and hopefully benefit from it. So um, pay attention to the emails. Pay it, I know it's, there's some slow in coming, but you should have correspondence from the disaster people um, to find out where you are in the system, how much you qualified for. And then here's the other thing. You, you, can, you can deny it because, again, it is a loan. So you can you can deny that. Or I had a had a gentleman call the other day. He said, "Well, I I I received a, an approval for over 200k, but I'm not really interested in putting up my real estate." Well, then you say, "Well, thank you, but I'll just take you know whatever the magic number is to to." Uh, and we've been told 200,000 under 200,000, you don't have to touch real estate. So he was gonna he was gonna you know counter back and say, "Well, I don't need the." The two thirty nine, say if that's the number, I only need one eighty nine. Okay, and that's totally possible to do. Okay. Now, what if um, and and I've I've got clients. So twenty nineteen was a weird year for a lot of people, right? Sure. And so some people in twenty eighteen, their tax situation may look one way, and then twenty nineteen, it may look another way. So if they haven't, if they're filing based on their twenty eighteen taxes, and then they get their twenty nineteen taxes, should they go ahead mm-hmm. and apply again? And and or just, should they just submit their their most recent tax returns? I would say the most recent documentation is what you should supply, because that it's. I mean, the borrower is is attesting to the accuracy of that. So I think that's really the best practice is to say, here's the last tax return. Here's the last information I have that I can point to, and then you know. Then it's also expenses on top of that, and and a lot of that should. And I'm not a tax person, so a lot of that should be captured in the tax returns. I think I think documentation would be a key to um, to justifying the information you're putting in there. So whatever you have is what I would go with, 2018 or 19. Okay. And then, but what my question specifically is, if you've turned, if, if, a, if someone has turned in their information based on 2018 and yeah. they get 20, let's say 2019 just came hot off the press from their CPA okay. today, do they now take their 2019 taxes and turn those in as supporting documentation? So, so, so there's, if you're, if the, if the, if you have not been decisioned yet, what I've been telling folks to do is just call the number or email the disaster customer service email and just and request or whenever you get the correspondence you would you would request 
that that information be added to. Now, that's what we've been telling folks. Nobody has told me not to say that. I would say call the 800 number and say, I think I've understated in this case, I guess. I've understated, you know, the numbers. So I would like to amend or, or abridge that and, and just see what they say because I'm not real sure once you've been assigned a, a loan number on the idle side, I'm saying, I'm thinking you're probably locked in on those numbers and you might not be able to amend or, you know, change the information, but that's a, that's a call to the 800 number. I'm sorry. I can't answer it. No, no, no. That was that. the 800 number was, yeah. was, is gold right now. <laughs> I'm going to sell it. It is. It's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a, you're going to hold on a long time before you get a person. And then, uh, those people are coming up to speed, so some of the information is a little bit scattered that you get there. But that's a valid question. I, I do have more documentation. What do I do if I'm still in process? Can I amend the numbers in the application? There should be a way to do that, we're told. Okay. And you know, this week there was a lot of controversy about Ruth's Chris and Shake Shack and certain larger corporations qualifying for small business lending for the, um, what'd you call it, IDL, E-I-D-L program, uh, who qualifies, who is that, supposed to qualify for it? Yeah, I think I think most of that's on the PPP side. Okay, so the uh, PPP is uh, for uh, everyone? So the PPP side is for, uh, well, it is for everyone. It's, it's if, if you have a tax ID number, uh, whether you're for profit or not, yes, you apply for that through your banker. So that's not a direct loan through the SBA. That's through your banking relationship. So that's where I saw those big names you just listed, you know, kind of questioning where, why they got the money instead of, you know, the mom and pop restaurant on Main Street. So, so the 500 employee number that you keep seeing is a, is a standard benchmark for, for size determination in the SBA world, if you're a manufacturer, say, it's just kind of a, a good benchmark to throw out there. But there are other side standards that you can see on our website, and it's all driven by your NAICS code, North American Industries, something, something code. SIC classification, code. Yeah. Classification systems. I was didn't mean to make a lot of that. But so based on your NAICS code, on your industry-specific there's a tool you can find on our website to put in your industry, your next code, and it will tell you if you qualify to be small or not, which basically uh, it's a big window to be, uh, to be honest about it. But that's the tool we use. That's the benchmarks we use. So people get hung up on the 500 employee headcount. But that's not the only determining factor. Right. So it's based on their NICS code or SIC code, I think. Um, That's what they used to call it was SIC codes. The PPP program, you know, since we're kind of knee deep in this, the PPP is the Paycheck Protection Program? Correct. That's right. And the idea there is the spirit of the law was to keep employee employees hired you know, keep them around and, and uh, keep them off the unemployment rolls, I suppose. But it's to cover the employee salary and your comp, all your bennies and all that, um, up to 100000 on the on the salary side. And then, you know, utilities and other expenses. It, the idea is to keep the doors open if we weren't in a 
shelter in place right. situation, but keep the doors open for eight weeks and keep your people employed till we work through the, the pandemic. Now, the what, idea. A, what about the small business owners who are, um, they do, let's say they do have an EIN number, but they don't have say employees per se, if they have a bunch of contractors, but they have an office or, you know, different locations, yeah. uh, whether it's inventory, things like that. How, where, how does that, what the, loan should that person apply for? The idea is both that you should apply for both. And here, here's the caveat there, just while we're on that subject is working capital from the EIDL includes payroll costs. So the idea there is to Keep excellent records so you don't commingle these funds on the payroll piece, and then you'll be okay. The idea is that you can use both buckets of money if you don't use both buckets of money for payroll. Does that make sense? So you need to use the idle money for other things other than payroll, and you'll be fine on the PPP side. And the PPP side is basically heavily going to be forgiven uh you use it strictly for payroll purposes. So it's, it's all about record keeping. It's all about keeping uh, the people on, the, on, uh, on, on your payroll and keeping them paid. And the, the eight weeks is, is the key point there. And again, you got to be in business on our, well, it was on February 15th. So there's a little gap here that I've talked to people about. So if I just bought a, if I bought a company on February fourteenth, uh, I wasn't I wasn't uh, qualified. But if I bought one on February sixteenth, I'm qualified, but I still don't have good data, right? So there's hopefully in the new uh, law, or we're waiting on guidance on how to handle those folks. So there's a there's a there's no way that the lawmakers could figure out every scenario. But what's what's come to light in the past couple of weeks is. If I if I just bought or I just started my company, you know, right around that date that makes me qualified, I don't really have good information. So they're still working on guidance to tell us what to do with those folks. But the idea is to apply for both. The PPP side is the spirit of that is to make sure the payroll is is met and the people are still on the on the rolls of your uh, company. Okay, so small business owners with employees or without employees, or if you have contractors, you should be applying for the EIDL and the PPP. Right, and if you're a contractor, then you you basically qualify to get get that as well. So that's the idea. There is if you if you're a contractor, you go you go apply for your your own monies. And uh, again, this is these loans are through your bank on the PPP side and they're 100% guaranteed by SBA. So, and there's a mechanism that is yet to be developed on how you, the client, go back to the bank after these eight weeks are up and say, okay, I want my forgiveness now. What we're being told is about 75% of this loan amount will be forgiven if you follow the rules, keep it to payroll and things like that. And you do some good, you know, do your good documentation. So, um, so that's uh, and, and you know at the end of the day, both of these programs, whatever whatever the residual is, whatever's left, I mean, both of them are loans, right? So you want to make sure uh, you understand that whatever is left over after the forgiveness piece in each program is going to be a loan that you're going to have to repay. So you want to make sure you 
calculate that in the in the future cash flow. But um, there's still a lot of moving pieces and parts, particularly with the PPP program. The bankers are just now funding a lot of these, and so uh, the backside of the house has to be figured out on the mechanics of how to get the guarantee perfected from us, how to get these things off the books and all that. But that's that's really for just the banker, that audience. And uh, so the mechanics of that are still being worked out. The idea is apply through your banking relationship. And here's a little tidbit for you. Um, and the reason we say go to where you have a banking relationship is because all the compliance stuff is going to be on there. They're, they're already going to have that on file for you. So if you bank at ABC Bank and decide to go to XYZ Bank, XYZ Bank has to go through a compliance process to figure out, it, we call it in the banking world, know, know your customer. So there's compliance things that have to be done to prove who you are. So the moral of that story is if you jump banks and go, well, I haven't got a call back from ABC Bank and I go to XYZ, XYZ may slow you down a couple, three days because they have to start from square one. Okay, with the compliance stuff. So, just a little, a little thing to be aware of if you uh, think you just want to jump from another bank to um, another uh, another institution that that no one knows you. I guess. Yeah, and, and this is one of those deals where I think it's important. Of you know, I've been touting this for a couple of years now that people have to have a, a relationship with a banker or someone at the bank where they deposit their money because you never know when times get hard or when things get squirrely. You need to know that there's somebody at your bank that's going to look out for you. And I think people are really realizing that right now, including the banks. You know. I, they need to know who Emma is when, you know, when Emma calls. If that relationship's already established, then you have, you have more, uh, your, your success ratio would be is much improved, I would think. Now, are there any other programs besides the PPP and the EIDL for business owners? Uh, I think we mentioned early on the bridge, the bridge loan. Um, so there is a way to uh, apply at your banker at your banking um, relationship to say, hey, I need, I, need a, I need a bridge loan until I get... Now, this is tied to the disaster piece. So this is tied to the EIDL piece. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of bankers have been so caught up in, in the sheer volume of the PPP program that it doesn't get a lot of airtime on the bridge loan. But there is a vehicle out there to allow the bankers to say, well, 25000 up to $25,000 is available in a bridge loan. And then the idea is the, the idle loan, the EIDL loan will pay, will pay that off whenever that's funded. But there's not a, there, you know, the mechanics of that, um, each bank is going to underwrite that differently. And again, based on just the bandwidth that everybody's having to put towards the PPP program, you may not even get a, a callback on anybody interested in that. But there is a vehicle out there on the bridge loan to get up to $25,000. And then the idea is that is paid back when you get your advance on the idle. Now, if someone has gotten a, I think it was the PP, if someone has said that through their bank, they say that they're approved. But now the SBA or, you know, the program has run out of money. Now what happens? That's a good question. And there's a lot of people in that category. That's a call back to your banker. Uh, because, again, a lot of these 
a lot of the banks had their own portals. They had their own internal process uh, mapped out to get the um, the necessary information. So they're they're working through their own process on their side before they actually transfer that file, if you will, to the SBA people. So if if you so if you've gotten an application number, that could be a couple of things. It could be um, that your bank acknowledges that your file is, I guess, pretty well complete, and they're going to assign you an application number to track you by. The other thing is on the SBA side, just about the time the money ran out, there were application numbers and loan numbers, uh, application numbers flying back and forth. But that's only half of the story from us. If you if the bank was assigned a loan number from SBA, then the process is complete. But if you just have an application number, then there's another step that has to be completed. And there's no way of us knowing where in the systems you are other than just calling back to your banker and saying, you know, where am I? What do I need to do next? Do you need anything from me? What additional information do you need? What is your process? But if they, if you ask them, do I have an SBA loan number? And the answer is affirmative. Then basically, you can count. You know, you can count your lucky stars that you actually are, are moving on toward um, signing the loan docs. Okay, so if 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 you went through your bank, have an application number, you're still in the process. But if the bank has actually issued you a loan number, you will be getting, you will be receiving the funds, or you'll have to wait until this next iteration. That's correct. That's that's my understanding. So if there's a loan number been assigned to the bank, and that's how these, that's how the loans are now being funded. So so there are still banks, even though the funding ran out uh, a few days ago. And we're still waiting on the new the new batch to come the new uh, law to be signed uh, and all the negotiations there. That that's how that's how the the funds are being dispersed now because they've actually been given a loan number from our side of the house and they can actually get the client in to sign the loan docs and get the check. Okay. So uh, yeah. All right. So I have some questions from some people. Um, This is someone from the the city that lives within the city of Atlanta in Brookhaven. Okay. And this kind of piggybacks on what we just, kind of what we just discussed. Okay. If you submitted a PPP application at the bank and the bank acknowledged receipt, how can you follow up on funding? And it's a two-part question, actually. So we'll stop there. The only only way to do that is to contact your bank. Unfortunately, there's no way for us to see the back, back of the house on their process to see where you are. If it's shown pending or whatever, it's the only the only avenue to check that is to call your banker. Okay. Now the other part of the question is: uh, this person is also a sole. Pro- they have a couple few businesses, but they're also a sole proprietor, and they have a vacation rental that they rent through um, VRBO, which is like an Airbnb. Right. Oh, and they also use Airbnb, and they want to know again: how do they apply for the EIDL? Um, when renting out a Airbnb or VRBO, is you're not required to have an EIN number. Yeah, yeah. So again, I think you, um, I think you use your personal uh, social security number on that one, and 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 you know, that should get you on through. Okay. To see what happens because your expenses are still rolling, right? So mm-hmm. even though even though you know you may you may not have 
salary, you, you've got uh, you've got expenses that are still accumulating. So use the personal social security number, and I think that's the right answer. And I'm not sure if you'll have the answer for this. I have not looked up the new bill and the provision, so I'm kind of in the dark with this because, again, this is like drinking from a fire hose. Information oh, is coming at us so fast. The um, viewer says that there was previously not a provision in the bill, the uh, CARES Act, to allow people who own or you do Airbnb to receive any any money. So is that something new that's happening? I don't know a specific carve-out for that. I, uh, I'll have to go back and research that. Maybe we can get that answered offline. But I don't, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a, a carve-out for that. Okay. So we'll, we'll have to pursue that a little bit further. The new bill, I, I, nobody knows what's coming, and hopefully they'll, they'll repair some of the questions and some of the misinformation. But I, I, you know, there'll, there'll be, there'll be caveats and, and things that uh, nobody will just have to wait and see what comes out. I mean, they're, they're basically saying from information I've seen in the media, nothing from my, nothing from SBA proper, but from the media, I'm seeing what 60, another 60 billion with a B for the EIDL program. And then another 320 billion for the PPP program. Remember the, the, the original PPP program was 349 billion. And here's another little stat for you just while it's on my mind, but 74% of the loans that were made in the PPP program were less than $150,000. So that to me says, you know, uh, there are those big companies that were getting funding, but the $150,000 loans apply, uh, you know, implies to me that a lot of the mom and pops were getting, were getting the, the, the funding. And I hope, I hope that turns out to be right because it's over a million, uh, a million and a half businesses got all that money. Okay, so, so here's here's another question for you from another person, and this is segueing okay. into you know uh, the small business. So let's see, small businesses being considered 500 employees or less. This left it open for large revenue companies to apply for the SBA loans and potentially deplete the funds. Will there be right. additional resources specifically for mom and pop Main Street businesses that were not able to participate in PPP or yeah. EIDL? I sure, I sure hope so. And again, I think, I think a lot of I, my phone has rang from uh, not only small business owners, but it's also rang from the, the staff of the, of the local congress congressman's office too. So they're gathering that data. I got to think that they're going to the intent, the spirit of the law, is to make sure that Main Street got the money. So I, I have to think that they're going to make sure of that perhaps in the next next funding cycle that I don't know this, but there, there's, uh, there could be uh, other stipulations. For example, we're hearing there may be a carve out for just the rural areas in, in the country. So to make sure that Main Street is, you know, does get the funding they need. So we'll just have to wait and see okay. what, what the new law says. So. All right. So here's another question. Um, are there any types of businesses or scenarios where it doesn't make sense to apply for a small business loan? There are other pools of money um, at the local level that 
there's no way that I'm going to know, but I did. I have heard through all of this that, for example, the city of Atlanta, the economic development folks had a pool of money uh, for for just their businesses, and uh, it had some pretty attractive financing attached to that. I know there are other economic development um, uh, arms in our specific communities that are doing the same thing. So it, it doesn't hurt to kind of Google that, if you will, or, or ask around in your local communities if there's a there's a local option for some funding uh, as well, because that would be in in the case the two cases that I that I mentioned I, those those were more attractive in my view than actually getting an SBA loan. But you've got to make sure you meet the criteria and make sure that the pool doesn't. Uh, run out by the time you get there, but there there are other local funds that you might find as an alternative for you there. And then there's also let's don't forget about the fintech lenders, the online lenders. Again, you have to really read the fine print there, but um, that that's obviously an option for folks as well. Okay. And then the uh, last question I have. Uh, let's see. Okay, I think somebody's just trying to figure out how to get the money. Do we resubmit applications? How are they deciding who gets the money? How are they how are they defining employees? Again, that's they're gonna if you're talking about the EIDLPs, that's gonna be based on well, all of it is gonna be based on the, the information that you provide to either the disaster people or to your local bank. I know there's still a lot of confusion about that. The idea is to have the best documentation that you can to back you up and make your case. Because at the end of the day, you're the one signing off on the fact that that information is true and accurate. So the, the head count, the dollar amounts you're spending, all those kind of things are, are kind of falling back on each borrower to make sure, uh, to provide that information to make the calculation. So um, that's about, that's the best answer I can give on that. Okay. The, um it's it's basically the more documentation you have, I think the better you are uh, at that. Now, on the idle side, as we've already said, I'm not real sure how there's, there's no algorithm to figure that out. They're basing it on cash flow, basing on information you put in the system, and they're coming back with a loan offering. So, whereas with the PPP, you, you, you put this information in, it's basically two and a half times okay. that number. So... There's a little bit clearer math. And then also just here's a here's a good um, best practice to check the Treasury website and our website because there are updates to all of this being published as soon as uh, somebody figures out oh, that was a problem or whatever. So here here's the fix for that or here's how you calculate that. So there's a lot of information on the Treasury website and our website on how to hopefully clear up. Uh, a lot of questions if you have, and, and chances are, if you can find the answer there, you you know it's correct and, and accurate. Okay. Yes, definitely, Jeff. This was wonderful. Um, again, for anyone who is listening and or watching, uh, you can contact the SBA Disaster Relief. That number is one eight hundred six five nine two nine five five. And also make sure that you check out the. Uh, I believe it's going to be treasury.gov. And you can also go to sba.gov. I would go there frequently to look at any changes or to see what's going on, to see how you actually get the monies that you need. So 
Jeff, thank you so much. You were um, sure. so glad to have you on today. I hate the circumstances, but I'm glad that I um, that you were able to come on and answer some of these questions. Uh, I will ask sure. you to possibly come back on again as things change and evolve. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some new something new that we're going to have to discuss. So thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate uh-huh. it. I, I, it's my pleasure, and I will certainly come back, and hopefully we can uh, we can clear up some other things. Just a couple of other tidbits. Just Georgia alone, I think we're we're in the top ten as far as getting this money out on the street. There's like nine and a half billion dollars, something like forty eight thousand businesses took advantage of this in Georgia. On nine and a half billion dollars, or nine and a half billion with a B for the dollar amount, and forty eight thousand businesses in Georgia took advantage of the PPP program. Okay. So, so again, we, we have great lenders. We have smart business owners. And uh, let's just keep it, keep it going. And I'm happy to come back and maybe clear up some other questions at a later time and keep our fingers crossed on the new funding. And hopefully it'll clear up some of these obstacles as well. Okay? All righty. Hello.